This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. Talking to you on the phones, 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Andrew in Jersey. Andrew, what's going on, my friend? Hey, what's going on, Larry? I'm doing good, man. What's up? So, uh, I've been, I've just been, this has been driving me crazy. I really think that the one move the Yankees really need to make or they should have made in the trade deadline was Castillo. That was the guy. Like, I'm just tired of Cashman and hearing about the prospects and Volpe and not giving up this guy because, you know, we're not going to see those guys for a while. And it just seems like the Yankees are just taking a step back now with all these, like, second-class moves with Montez and this other guy. I mean, Montez didn't have a good record in Oakland. He's this other guy. He's one in six in Oakland. And he's bringing in these guys that – are just almost like trying to fill the gap, and that's not the guy we need. In order to beat Houston, we needed Cole, Castillo, and Cortez going in. And you know what? We probably still could have gotten Montez, even if we got Castillo. But the whole talk with the prospects, and I mean, Oswald Peraza is in AAA, and he's ready to come up before Volpe. Now, all this pressure is going to be on Volpe to come up. Is, is Volpe going to be the guy to put us over the edge to win a championship? Castillo's probably more that guy than Volpe would have been. Well, I tell you, uh, you make some valid points. There's there's a lot of people who feel that way. Thanks for the phone call as to, you know, why that the Yankees are just so hung up on making sure that they keep their prospects. Now, listen, they've seen them. I guess they have an idea on what's, you know, what they, what they can do and what they can't do. Uh, but, you know, I think Montas is a very good pitcher, but I agree with you. Castillo is better. And the other thing is he's better on your team than on somebody else's team that you have to face him. And he auditioned for you against Cincinnati when you played Cincinnati. He auditioned and told you what you could expect. And, um, you know, you didn't get him. And you may look back on that and say that's a major mistake. But it's done. So you just have to hope that Montas is going to be the guy that they expect, that he's a guy that can, you know, that he, that can handle New York City. He's a guy, veteran, that can be big in big spots, that understands what it takes to win in a big game. So that's all you can hope for at this point. That's that's the situation you're in. Mike's in Queens. What's up, Mike? Good evening, Larry. How are you? I'm doing good. What's going on? The Mackay Beckham injury, and let me let's be honest here. After last year, he'll miss four, six weeks. He was out the entire year. Going coming in, going coming into this year, there was talk about he's overweight. He's done with the Jets, right? Coming into this this year, the clock was ticking on Mackay Beckham in the Jets uniform. Uh, the the issue is not him. The issue is that he's who's under him. Uh, the two guys, I don't know their names. They're not starters, okay? Uh, the guy they brought in, yeah, he's yeah, he was healthy last year, healthy the year before, despite his age. A 37-year-old with no minicamp training camp coming in now, I mean, you have to, I don't care. I mean, the man could be in good shape. The man could do everything every day by himself in a gym somewhere. It's not real training camp. Uh, so, they, therefore, their offensive line, its depth was an issue before the injury to Beckham. Because let's say Beckham, I mean, again, he, he gets injured. Who's behind him? Nobody. But in defense of Joe Douglas, they you have to draft a wide receiver last year. 
uh, this past draft, they had a draft of defensive end, right? They, I mean, I'm 32 years old. I can't recall the last defensive end they had. You have, you have to draft a, a DB. You haven't had one since Terrell Reeves. There's so many God don't hold on this Don team that you got to plug them in. And, you know, he drafted back then, then he drafted uh, Vera from USC. Uh, the offensive line not being in great shape. Uh, again, there's so many damn holes. He can't do everything. He did get a free agent. But uh, the Jets, the last thing I'll say, in terms of Zach Wilson and his development, the two tight ends, we all know what Keller did for Sanchez. Then the weapons go away. The wide receivers go away. I think the tight ends will be key. And one more thing, if, if you're Robert Tyler last year, you had no defensive end, you had no pass rush, you had no DB, I'll give you a break. But, Robert, this year you have a defensive end, you have a cornerback. You have to improve the defense. Because last year, if Robert Tyler blitz like Rex Ryan, yeah, he has no secondary, he'll, he'll get exposed. You don't blitz. The QB has all data to show you, you, you get exposed. Last year, his defense, he had no shot in hell, no plays. He can't do much. This year, Robert, you have one defensive end, one cornerback. You have, you have weapons. You have players. I need to see an improved defense. Not number one, but it sure as hell can't be dead last like last year. At no, Mike, it's got to be like top ten. Thanks for the phone call. It's got to be – it's got to be middle of the pack. Minimum. It's got to be minimum of the pack. And with the talent that you have and the folks that you've brought in, and, and right now folks are healthy. And once again, you know, you knock wood that, uh, you know, you can stay, you be as healthy as possible. Uh, you're right. You need to see. But you need to see it on both sides of the ball, though. Okay, yeah, I know the defense has to improve. I'm still not sure who's going to be able to stop the run on this team. Okay, I'm still not sure. I'm, I'm not seeing a big – and I know it's the 4-3 and everything, and I know Quentin Williams has been phenomenal. He's been really good. But I'm still not sure who's that guy that's going to stop the run here. Okay, because that was the biggest thing that hurt this team. It was their inability to stop the run. It, it, it opened up everything else. You have to be able to take something away from, your, from the opposition offenses. You can't let them have everything. <laughs> you can't. You got to be able to take something away. So if I can run... Okay, then you move your safeties up to stop the run. Now I go, I go deep because I go over your head, all right, with with tight ends and wide receivers, and now you're backpedaling. And then when you go back that, you know, it's it's like, you know, it's like me playing keep away. You never, you never, you never get to stop anything. How can you? You can't because you are not in control. All right. You can't dictate anything. Whereas at least if you're stopping the run, you can kind of make offenses one dimensional where you know they're going to pass. Now, that doesn't mean that you stop it, <laughs> but eliminate some things. And so, yeah, the Jet defense is it, the defense has to make a statement on this team. And usually, usually, for most of the teams, the defense is a little ahead of the offense. So the defense, you know, you need to step it up. They have to be able to uh, make a short field for this offense early until you see what the offense can do. Okay, until you see if it gets going. I mean, you're right. The two tight ends should be much better. It should give them two tight ends and a running game. 
should make Zach Wilson's life easier. So we'll be able to see, you know, that's one of the things we'll be looking for tomorrow. And remember, the other thing is all the defenses that you've seen and all the stuff that you're going to see is vanilla. Nobody's, nobody's doing anything. Nobody's trying to game plan for anybody right now. They're just playing vanilla-based defenses. It's clear. You know, nobody's trying to do any, you know, exotic blitzing or stuff of that nature. It's going to be clear. It's clear what's going to happen. You'll be able to see it. You'll be able to figure it out. This is not the, you know, the big time game planning that we're doing that we're going to have week one and so on and so forth. That's not what this is. Okay, clearly, it's not what it is. So it's going to look even easier than what it will be. 1-800-919-3776. The conversation continues on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. This is going to be interesting to see how he matches up with this team, right? Because you look over his averages, the one thing you respect about it, it's been a steady climb for him. In 2018-19, played in 73 games, averaged 9.3 points per game, 3.2 assists. All right, the following year, he started less games. He started 57 games, 8.2 points per game, and had 3.3 assists. Then in the 2021 shortened season, he had 3.5 assists, averaged double figures and 12.6 points per game. And last season, which I think was clearly his best, 16.3 points per game and 4.8 assists. Even had just under four rebounds a game, his rebounding has gone up. So, Really, steals went up. Everything, turnovers went up, but they're still under two turnovers a game, which is not bad. Everything has everything went up for him with more playing time. Last year was clearly his coming out situation, right? He was able to show that with more time, what he was able to bring to the table. And so while I understand that there were some folks who had some reservations about him, I still think for what the Knicks need as far as a point guard, and some of you are going to quibble with me, well, he's not really a point guard. I mean, you know, he is a combo guard who can handle the ball and run the offense. He can also create for himself. All right? And I'm excited to see what he can do with the ball in his hands predominantly. Right, Because, I mean, listen, and I've made this point before. He's been running an offense. Well, he hasn't been running an offense. He's been part of an offense starring Luka Doncic. And he runs the offense when Luka's not on the floor and he's in the game. Then he runs the offense. Otherwise, he doesn't run the offense. The ball is dominated by Luka Doncic. Just like in L.A., the ball is dominated by LeBron James. All right, so... He was really a guy who was another option for Luka. That Luka either went for his shot, went for three, or made a move to the basket or created for himself, or he passed out and, you know, Jalen Brunson took the opportunity and converted. So I'm curious and excited to see what he can do for the Knicks in this scenario where he's going to be the guy that's going to run the offense. And hopefully, 
it'll be a situation where we're not going to have to watch turnover after turnover after turnover from Julius Randle, who's trying to run the offense. Okay, hopefully that's not what we'll see. Uh, and I think what's most important as a Nick fan is that you will see somebody take control of the offense late. How many times last season did the Knicks lose leads because they couldn't, not only couldn't they stop anybody, but they couldn't score. I mean, you, you, you could count them. Teams with 20-point leads. You Knicks have a 20-point lead, lose the game. I mean, on numerous times. So hopefully he will solve that issue by being able to somebody on the floor to be able to direct traffic, but most importantly, someone to be able that can create on their own, that can get a basket, go to drive and kick, to do something other than teams taking Julius Randle away or taking R.J. Barrett away, which they did a lot last season. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how that's going to turn out. He was, he was asked about the pressure being different in New York than Dallas. I knew it because I kind of grew up in it, but to actually go through it is different. But if I didn't think I was ready for it, I don't think I would be here. I think I'm mentally and physically prepared for anything, honestly. So it's really nothing to me. And uh, if I keep the mentality like I have my entire career, entire life, and that nothing really phases me, then um, I think I'll be all right. You see yourself as a leader? I think that's one thing that I always bring to the table is a voice. I've been a leader my entire life. I was raised by my parents to be a leader, not a follower. And so that's kind of been put into my DNA. I don't really know how to explain it. It's just how I've always been. I've always been a person that's vocal. I've always been a person that kind of not tell people what to do, but knowing my audience and know how to talk to certain people to try to get everyone on the same page. That's just how I've always been. And um, that's how I want to continue to be. And that's going to be key. Okay, that's going to be key. Will the veterans on this team respect them? Will Julius Randle, when he says, go down, I got the ball, go down court, will he do that? <laughs> I, that's the question. I don't know. Because he wants the ball. And I understand, listen, I'd rather have a guy who, I'd rather have a guy want the ball than not want the ball, especially when he's one of the leading scorers on the team. Okay, I get that. But there's times that you have to acquiesce and move with the team attitude. And I don't know that that was a strong point for Julius Randle last season. And once again, I don't know what he, if he went through anything. I don't know. I'm just going by what I saw. Just going by what I saw. And it just seemed as though that, you know, he. it's almost like he never recovered from the Atlanta series. And I don't know whether he never recovered or teams just saw what Atlanta did and just did it to him, and he had no answer. And that's not solely on him. That's also on the coaching staff, okay, because they're supposed to help him. They're supposed to devise an offense that puts him in a better position than being near the baseline, going between the baseline and the, and the, and the sideline and stepping out and get double teamed and the ball stripped, you know. Maybe they can play with a quicker tempo with Jalen Brunson there where they can get down and set up and get easier shots because 
I'm telling you, there were times when this Nick offense looked like it was hard work to get a basket. Hard work. Hard work. And part of it was because they brought the ball down, you know, slowly. And then on other cases, when they rushed the ball down, it led to a bad shot, and the team went back the other way. So, listen, uh, one player is not going to solve the Knicks. They need more talent. They need more than one really good player. But clearly, he's a start. So, Jalen, what was it like playing with Luka Doncic? My time with Luka was nothing short of amazing. I got to watch a future Hall of Famer be special at everything that he did. So I got to learn a lot just by watching. So being with him was great. But when he was out and beginning the playoffs, I was obviously able to uh, do a little more. But uh, for me, I've always been about team, always. And so with the team needing me to do at any given moment, I was willing to try and uh, contribute to help my team win in any way. Yeah, he had a great season last year. We talked about how how good he was in the playoffs. Was that your uh, celebration? I mean, maybe for you guys, maybe for everyone else to see around the country or the world. I've always known that what I've been capable of, I and mean, that just comes with like my confidence, my work ethic. I just it's how I've always been. So for everyone else to see it and uh, kind of be surprised, I guess. I guess just you guys finally see it. But for me, it's always been there for me. Well, now we'll see, because once again, he's going to be running this offense. Okay, and you know, there's no Luka Doncic on this team who can create and do what he does to that extent. Julius Randle is a very good player. R.J. Barrett is a very good player. Okay, Mitchell Robinson's a good player. So, the talent on this team there's a lot of there's a lot of potential talent on this team. Okay. And we just have to wait and see, you know, how it comes together. That's going to be the question. How will it come together? Lee's in Brooklyn. What's up, Lee? Hey, Larry. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you fine, Lee. Talk to me. Hey, how you doing, man? I'm Great. enjoying the take. You know, you know, what's so funny about it is that, Larry, it's like you're in a situation where you're watching these you know, the Knicks, they're a good team. They're a good team. And I try to explain that to they're a good team. But there's other teams that are just better. So um, other teams have better players, uh, better situations, you know. So I just think that the Knicks will have a good season again. They'll win a decent amount of games. And... Um, they're going to see them put forth great effort, but other teams are just happen to be better. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, Lee, and that, and that's you know what that's always going to be the case. There's always going to be somebody better, right? And, and thanks for the phone call. But you just want to see. Here's the thing: the Knicks were a playoff team the year before. Okay, and so. For them to take that big a step back where they were no longer a playoff team, where that they were not even a play-in team, it was very, it, it was frustrating. It was disappointing. There's a number of adjectives you could use. And you just watched it and you're like, all the hope that you had, all the encouragement that you had as a Nick fan, that, okay, they're building something. 
Okay. If 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 the young players, you know, you're looking at young players and you're watching them, you you see something growing. You like what Quickly's been. You like what Toppin's shown you in the minutes he had. You you like some things. You like some players. You like McBride. Okay, you like Grimes. Okay, so you you know you saw something there that okay, we, maybe we're building something here, and then you were just awful. <laughs> you're awful. So now you it's a new season. And you're right, Lee. You look at it and you say, okay, they have pieces. Okay, you've got R.J. Barrett, who improved every year so far. All right, you need him to take another step. All right, you have Julius Randle. Which, so, but which, which Julius Randle are you getting? Are you getting the one that from last year? Are you getting the one that he was like an MVP candidate? He was just the guy. And ultimately, like what happened last year to frustrate him so that he just got lost with the fans and just it's like they were times he didn't want look like he didn't want to play looked like not saying he didn't looked like he didn't want to play it's it, it's it's just an amazing situation when you look and here's the other thing lee other teams in the division have gotten better in the conference have gotten better okay milwaukee they're looking for revenge they're going to be very tough this year. They've made some additions to their team. They're going to be good. Philly, you know, talking about getting Kevin Durant. They may be better. Uh, Boston, they're talking about getting Kevin Durant. They went to the finals. And that's just in your division. Toronto's very good. They've got young talent and they're tall. They have length. All right, Cleveland is going to be a year better. So there's a number of teams in your conference that you're going to have to try to climb over and you have to you have to show that you're improving. So yes, I agree with you. They they could be a good team. Hopefully they will be a better team with Jalen Brunson, but and and we'll see what the young players with another year quickly in his third year, what will he bring to the table? Toppin in his third year, what will he bring to the table? A Grimes in his second year, what will he bring to the table? McBride, will he be on the team or will he be the star of, of Westchester again? Okay, what what's going to happen with these? What's going on with Cam Reddish? Is he going to be a Nick or what's happening with him? Is he going to be in the rotation? I mean, there's so many questions about this team. But the bottom line here, will Mitchell Robinson be able to stay healthy? Look, when he's healthy, he's he, he's he's been a very good center. He blocks shots. You know, he, he great on finishes. But, it, but he's on the floor second only to Anthony Davis. So these are the questions that you have about this team. We'll continue the conversation on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Dante's in Queens. Hey, Dante. Hey, Larry. Thanks for um, taking my call. You got it. Um, Just wanted to talk about the the Knicks a little bit. Um, A couple quick points I wanted to make. Um, yes, last year was disappointing, but what I want other Knicks fans to keep in perspective and to piggyback off of what you said about the point, okay, we won 37 games. We missed the playoffs. It wasn't like we were the worst team in the league. And I can easily think of 10 games off the top of my head that we blew. Why? Because we didn't have a you know, experience enough point guard running the show. 
And also the point I want to make, like, as far as the Mitchell thing, I'm I'm fine with going in to the season with the guys that we got. Guys are only going to improve. But the question I wanted to ask you, why is it that when other teams get rookies, you know, they're projected to do better, but it's like when we draft guys or whatever, it's like I, I don't know if they feel like the guys we draft are just spending the summer eating donuts, watching TV all day, like 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 our rookies aren't working to get better. I really like that narrative. I really don't understand. And <laughs> but uh, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, I hear you, Dante. Thanks for the phone call. I think it's just a lack of respect for what the Knicks have been over the past decade. Okay, they've been a team that has not drafted well. They've been a team that has struggled. They've been a team that has picked the wrong players and passed certain people. I mean, you know, we're here talking about uh, what the Knicks would have to give up to try to get Donovan Mitchell. Well, they could have drafted Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> Donovan Mitchell was still on the board when they picked whoever they had because I think it was, I think it was the same draft as Frank Nilakina. I hope not. Let's see, I'm sorry. I mean, come on. You could have Donovan Mitchell then. You chose Frank Nilakina over Donovan Mitchell because Phil Jackson said, well, he, he's run the triangle offense in France. Dante, that's why people, you know, are the way they are. And it takes, it takes you having to have some, a couple of drafts where you can see that players are, okay, changing and that they're worth something. And that's going to take some time. I think you need another draft, another draft or two where you've got some players and people say, hey, you know what, Those, these are some good players, considering where you've been. Now, what that means is, unfortunately, it means that if you're going to draft really good players, it means that you're bad again. And I don't want to be in that situation. It was very nice not having to look. The year they went into the playoffs, it was very nice not having to look and see what where, where they weren't going to be because you knew they weren't going to be number one uh, on the draft lottery. Because they never are. Only once. 85. That's it. That's it. Done. So, I mean, give me a break. So, I think that's what it is. And the other side of that to that is, in a lot of cases, if you're not playing your own talent, then people wonder, okay, what if they should, if they're not playing them, maybe they aren't that good. Does that make sense to you? I mean, if they were really good, they'd be playing them. What don't they see with, for example, and once again, I I use Obi Toppin, but I'm not saying that Obi Toppin is the greatest rookie in the NBA. Okay? I'm not even saying he was the greatest five rookies in the NBA. Top five. I'm not even saying that. But I am saying when you draft somebody that high, you would think that they would play. Not playing. Didn't play. So, if I'm on the outside and he's not playing, but then I see him in limited situations where I see energy, I see him on the fast break, I see him in the transition game, then I'm saying, okay, so something's going on. Otherwise, they would be giving him more minutes. And I say this all the time. And it's not a matter of, okay, Tibbs doesn't play young kids. But it's very simple. Why does why do the starters have to play so many minutes? You mean to tell me that the kids you draft are not good enough to play 10, 15 minutes a game? 
why is Julius Randle playing 40 minutes? When later in the season, okay, if he played 30 minutes, how much fresher would he be? That's the issue. So you're looking and you're seeing, and you understand Tom Thibodeau, you know what he is, and you know his what his strong suits are, and you know his tendencies. All right, and you say, okay, He's playing, he's playing, he's playing his rookies. Well, he doesn't play rookies a lot. We get it. But he's killing his, his he's killing his starters. So these kids aren't good enough to give him 10, 15 minutes? What's going on? Maybe they're not that good. Eli's in Washingtonville. What's up, Eli? Hey Larry, what's going on? Yeah, um before I get to my Bill Russell point, uh just what I told I gotta leave the Yankee talk, you know, uh, to uh, uh, you know when Gordon comes back, because I want to, you know, ask him if there's a uh, magical season that the Yankees are going through again. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I want to, want to argue with him. But uh, yeah, uh, Bill Russell, uh, and listen, nothing, I'm not taking nothing away from him. The man was uh, an ambassador for basketball. Uh, he was an all-time great up there in the Mount Rushmore, and he deserved to have his reti- his numbers retired. But tell you the truth, I think this is a slap in the face to Michael Jordan. Because, you know, Michael Jordan is maybe the best player that ever played the game, or is the best player that ever played the game. And this guy doesn't even have a trophy named after him. Like, what is the snub with Michael Jordan? Like, he should have his number retired also. Like, the guy was an ambassador to the game also. He he, he took this game to the to the global status that it is. Like, market, the, the marketing strategy of the NBA today was because of Michael Jordan. And this guy can't even get a, not even a trophy, not even a, 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 a runner-up trophy named after him. Well, I'll say this, Eli, and you make an interesting point, and, and thanks for the phone call. And I know Gordon can't wait to talk to you when he gets back. Um, it's Bill Russell's, a lot of his number being retired is as much what he did on the court as 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 much as what he did off the court as on the court. And you're right. He was a tremendous player, great winner, uh, has a trophy named after him. But it's 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 some of the things that he endured. It's the time that he was a part of trying to give athletes and brown, black and brown people the opportunity to be more fair, using his platform, him becoming the first African-American head coach in the NBA. So there's, there's a little history there. And he's been in the, I mean, he, this is covering like five decades of his career, right? This is, I mean, he started in the 60s. And, you know, so he's been around a long time. And I think as time passes, Michael Jordan will get his just due as well. And there may be something down the line that they will have in mind for Michael Jordan because of his ability and what he brought to the, what he brought to the NBA and, you know, him and the dream team and how that really globalized the sport and, you know, Luka Doncic and, uh, you know, a number of other players, Yao Ming, and, uh, you know, you can go back to some of the, the legendary uh, uh, players uh, who played 
overseas, not from this country, played overseas, uh, they were watching Michael Jordan and those, and that dream team group to the point that when you go back and you think about how it was in Barcelona during those teams, I mean, these guys were shaking hands and getting autographs with them. <laughs> and we're just intimidated, okay? We're just intimidated by them. So um, I hear what you're saying about Michael Jordan. He does, it's, it's, but I don't think it's a snub. Don't think of it as a snub. Think of it as a celebration for what Bill Russell represented for decades in the NBA and much of, and using that same platform off the court for things that he did to bring awareness to social issues at that time. So that's how you should look at it, Eli. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN.